Welcome to Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom. Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here, special edition. No fancy music, no slick production. It's just me talking from my mother's house in the Chicagoland area. As many of you know from following me on social media, I'm out here because mom died early Tuesday morning, Tuesday the 18th of June, 2.30, 2.28 in the morning. Uh, my brother and I were there to witness her peacefully slipping into eternity. And I'll, I'll tell you all of that story because it's incredible. It speaks to her constitution. This was a, this was a tough woman. I'll talk about that. Also, I'm perusing a lot of memorabilia at my mother's house as we're trying to settle her affairs and we're coming across things that she saved. And she's got a whole folder entitled Brian. <laughs> it's everything from letters I wrote when I was at camps when I was a kid, <laughs> which I think you'll find hilarious, to uh, many letters. I can't believe how many letters I sent to my parents as an adult apologizing to them for being a jerk. <laughs> um, so I've got some of that too for you. And then on my radio program on KSFO, we have a, a guest every once in a while. It's my mother's brother. It's my uncle Doug. Uh, Doug was in town and he, he is hilarious. I said, Doug, can you please just give us a little interview for my podcast? Because Doug's the kind of guy, he just lights up the room. He is, he is hilarious. So you're going to hear that interview coming up as well. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because when Doug came to town, this is my mother's only brother, and uh, they're separated by, I think, probably five or six years anyway. And Doug came to town, and here we are. My mother is, she's out. She is just not responsive, breathing heavily, and we knew time was, time was short. Doug walked into that hospital room and started talking to us, and I swear to you, my mother calmed down. Her breathing settled. Uh, you could see there was a, her eyes were flickering a little bit. She could hear, she could hear every, everything. Doug, being in the room, calmed her down. That's what she was waiting for. I believe she was waiting for Doug to come before she died. So that was an amazing thing to behold. But let me just back up a little bit and talk about mom. I was out here in Chicago uh, February for her birthday, and I just noticed something was wrong. She had just slowed down and was acting weak. And, and this is, again, this, this woman was the Energizer Bunny. She was into fitness before anybody was into fitness. Uh, she, you know, raised the, the two boys and always worked as a nurse. Uh, she was a registered nurse. <laughs> which means, you know, if we ever tried to, if we ever tried to play the sick card when we were kids, so we wouldn't have to go to school, no, there was no way. You would have to have a limb cut off to not go to school. <laughs> she, <laughs> she was so tough. In fact, her brother said she's boneheaded. She's boneheaded. Well, yeah, she, she was tough, man. But, you know, that tough kept us from getting into a lot more trouble than we got into. Well, seriously, she kept us uh, somewhat on the straight and narrow, best she could. So my mother, I'm out here in February, and I realized something is is wrong. Something's amiss. 
she wouldn't give me any indication of what was wrong. Her husband, Marvin, my dad died back in 91. She remarried in 2002, just a super guy named Marvin from Minnesota, from Wisconsin. Marvin didn't know what was wrong. We knew that she had bladder cancer some time ago, but she told us that that was all fine. So that was February. She calls me up in May and asked me to come out again. She asked me for a visit in May. So I finally came out. That was about three weeks ago or so. And boy, she had slowed down even further. And I was so disturbed. I, I got everybody in the car and I said, okay, we're, we're going to independent living communities. You, you need to get some options here because mom, you're just, something's wrong. Maybe you're just getting old. But I fear that you're going to fall down, and if you fall down, boy, it's, it's not going to be good. Well, I took them around to independent living facilities that had associated assistant living facilities, and she and her husband were not interested. In fact, I think, I think they were rather offended. And I left there saying, Mom, please be careful. I'm just fearful you're going to take a fall. Well, lo and behold... Uh, a week or so after I left, she took a fall and she split the back of her head open and had to go to the hospital in an ambulance and uh, eight staples to the back of the head on a Friday. So she's in the hospital and she's getting ready to be released on Saturday and they decide to keep her to Sunday because something's up with her blood work. They do further tests and CT scans and all of this on Monday and on Tuesday uh, I've arrived. I got there on Tuesday, and I met with an oncologist uh, who said, uh, your mother has terminal liver and kidney cancer. And I was shocked. Well, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't shocked because she was doing so poorly, but I was shocked about this. How could somebody just either not know or not tell? Well, I guess that was my mother. She did not want anybody to be concerned if she knew. I don't know. It's very puzzling. But I asked the doctor, how long does she have? And this was the part that was shocking. He said, a week. He said, a week. And by golly, he was right to the day. It was one week. So I got the news on Tuesday. I talked to my mother on Wednesday. And by this time, she, was become, she wasn't able to speak very well. And she's got some hearing issues anyway. And uh, I wanted to communicate to her her status, this is Wednesday morning, I got to the hospital real early, so it was just the two of us, and I took out flashcards. I literally made flashcards, and I presented her with these cards, and uh, I told her that she had liver and kidney cancer, and there was no cure, and she spoke very, very softly. I heard her say, oh my, as if she didn't know, but I think she, she obviously knew something was wrong, and then I just walked her through a little bit further, and we talked about God, and we talked about heaven, and we talked about eternity, and I think we got a lot of things settled for her at that point, all with flashcards. That was Tuesday. Uh, that was Wednesday morning, I should say, after I talked to the doctor on Tuesday. After I spoke with her, uh, the oncologist, Dr. Death, comes in, <laughs> and now uh, he he gets her attention. He's speaking very loudly at her, and suddenly she's she's listening intently. And uh, she heard every word he said. He lectured. He lectured her. He spoke to her as a, as an RN, one medical profession professional to another, and just told her what was going on and how long she had. 
and he said, I, I could try treat this, but the treatment's going to be even worse. It's going to, you, you will not be able to withstand the treatment for these diseases. She rallied that day. My God, she was pissed. I mean, she was angry when this guy left. It was like, okay, you know what? I'll show you. You're telling me I've only got a weak buddy. You're telling me. There was a rally. It was incredible. She sat up in a chair next to her bed and she, she wanted, she was pointing at a menu. I'll have this and I'll have this and I'll have this and I want some coffee. And she sat there and she ate breakfast and she had lunch and she had dinner. She hadn't eaten anything before that since she got in the hospital on Friday. All of a sudden she's eating and drinking coffee and trying to communicate. That was Wednesday. And I talked to a nurse. I said, what's happening here? And a nurse said, this, this is a rally day. She said, I've seen this before. Tomorrow she's going to fade. And sure enough, the next day, man, she was out of it. And she never, it just got worse. And to the point where she was just sleeping nonstop and getting thinner and thinner before our very eyes. But I have to tell you, you know, she died, as I mentioned, Tuesday morning, 228. I was with her Monday night. And it, for some reason, it was just one of those situations where it was just the two of us in the room. My brother and I and her husband had been taking shifts to be with her 24 hours by this point in time. But I was the only one in the room. I think Brad was taking uh, her husband out for some dinner or something. And the sun was setting and the sunlight was on her face. And my gosh, she looked beautiful. She was laying there and she was breathing softly and she just looked beautiful. And uh, I just began to sing. I started just singing various songs that I knew she liked. And then I got into some classic old-time worship songs. And it was just the two of us singing, and I was talking, and I was crying. and Oh, it was beautiful. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I uh, left the hospital about 8. Brother Brad was going to take over. And it was interesting because Doug arrived on Monday, and, and as I told you, he just lit up the room, and my mother, you could tell she knew Doug was there. I left about 8 because I was going to spell Brad at 2.30 in the morning. That was our plan. And uh, Doug, I took took Marvin home. Doug stuck around till about 9 with his wife, Kathy, and they talked, and, and then Doug left about 9 o'clock. So it's Brad alone with Mom from 9 until I arrived. I got there at 2.20 in the morning. And I walked in and Brad said, I'm glad you're here. I think this is it. I think I think this is the end. And I looked at her and, oh, boy, she'd changed since 8 o'clock. You could, you could tell this was it. She was nearing the end. She was very peaceful, but her breathing was incredibly soft, shallow, and irregular with long pauses. And I told her, it's okay, Mom. Uh, both your boys are here. If you want to go, just go. And uh, we decided we'd call Doug. Doug, you want to come down? And, and Doug, Doug saw her earlier, and that's the way he wanted to remember her, so he didn't come. We called up her husband. We said, Marvin, you've got to get here quickly. And he hightailed it over. But by the time he got there, she'd passed. My last words to her were, goodbye, Mom. That was it. That was it. Brad and I decided not to tell the nurses she had died. Uh, we wanted to wait for Marvin to get there. And, and, you know, we spent an hour and a half in that room together. It was Brad, Marvin, me, just chatting, talking, reminiscing, grieving. Hour and a half, she was present in the room with us. 
at least bodily. But I think spiritually there's something going on, the dynamics of which we, we don't understand. I mean, at that moment in time where we were witnessing her past slip into eternity, do you understand this? We were, we were a membrane away from eternity. That's wild. My gosh. So the three of us just sat in the room for about an hour and a half, and then finally we called the nurse, and they did what they do, and uh, we left her a little bit later. I, 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 didn't, I was the last one out of the room. I thought, what do you do here? I mean, this is really, how do you do this? I've seen in movies where they put a sheet over the person, and I thought, well, maybe that's just the movies. But I left and looked back at her. I thought, no, I think that's dignity. I need to, I need to do that. So I just pulled up the bed, bed sheet and, and said goodbye. So that was it with my mother. Uh, you're going to hear my interview with Doug, which we did the very next day, uh, in just a moment. But I'm, lo <laughs> I'm looking through some old memorabilia. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is just the, the file she saved for me. And I have to share some of this with you. I'll start with a bit of humor. When I was going into my freshman year of high school, again, we had moved from California to Colorado to uh, the, the Chicago area when I was in eighth grade. And now I'm transitioning into high school. <laughs> and I, I played ice hockey. Uh, I started playing in Colorado. And, <laughs> you know, I, was, I wanted to make the high school hockey team. And... Uh, <laughs> So my parents sent me up to a hockey camp along with my neighbor, Mark Hogan. It was up in Canada, in Toronto. And, so, and we got to this camp and we were fish out of water. First of all, all the kids were primarily from Canada, but there were other kids from New York and, and uh, Massachusetts, especially, and some from Chicago. A lot of the Canadian kids only spoke French. And these kids all wanted to make it to the NHL. Shoot, I just was hopeful to play on the high school team. I had no aspirations beyond that. So we were out of our league. And I just remember I hated this camp. It was, we didn't have the skill to be there. The fact that we were Americans, we were getting picked on. So I found this letter that I wrote to my parents. <laughs> Mom and dad. Mark, <laughs> now can you imagine, here you are, a parent, you're all excited, your kid's up in Canada playing hockey, you've spent all this money for them to go there, and this is the letter you receive? Mom and Dad, Mark and I hate it here, <laughs> but we can hold out another week. <laughs> I am learning a lot, but most of all, I'm meeting some really neat guys. They're from Massachusetts, some are from New York, some are from Chicago. A lot of the guys only speak French. <laughs> the counselors hate us. <laughs> no, I think it says, the counselors kill us. So long, your son, Barney. That was my nickname growing up, Barney. <laughs> so that's one letter. Here's another one. I think this was from, <laughs> this was from my first year of college. And uh, I think it's my first letter back to home. So I'm at the University of Missouri here. Um, <laughs> Mom, to put an ease to your psychological stomach pains, because <laughs> she was always worried about me. <laughs> she was worried about me. She was worried about my dad, especially, <laughs> and some of the shenanigans he got into over the years, and probably less worried about my brother. 
but uh, mom, to put an ease to your psychological stomach pains, I took my first psych exam today and I aced it. <laughs> Dad, have you found anything out about those Kansas City Chiefs tickets? Uh, I, I wanted to go to the uh, to drive to Kansas City to see a game because we had a friend on the team. Uh, and then I say this to my dog. So there's the message to mom, the message to dad. Then it says, dogs, arf, rauf, rauf, yep, yep, cuckoo. <laughs> uh, maybe that's only funny to you guys. Or to me, I should say not to you guys. But uh, Then I'm going through other stuff here, other letters. And I, I just, again, there were so many letters that my mother kept where I was apologizing to them for being such a jerk over the years. I just, my mother and I was like um, oil and water the way we the way we did not mix. We were always at each other's throats. And uh, even my dad and I were getting into it. And then what really happened was um, I, I write this one particular letter and I'm, I'm sharing to them uh, how I became you know, converted, converted. So here's the the kid who grows up in the secular Jewish household. All of a sudden now he is following Jesus. And that did not go over well, especially with my dad. It did not go over well with him at all. And uh, so I decided to write them a letter about my entire life story. And I, I, I'd like to read a little bit of this to you, uh, if I may. I say, my, my life was radically changed when Ken died. Ken was my buddy. We were 10 or 11 when he died. And I happened to see, I happened, he got hit by a car and I happened to witness, um, I, I came upon the event just after it happened. And it was awful. I said, I, re I remember the experience as if it happened yesterday. Uh, and I won't go into all the description, but I talk about his body and and his parents' agony because I saw them come to the location and, oh my gosh, I don't wish that on any parent. Then I remember my mother's tears and carrying the casket for my little buddy. And I remember football practice, I mean, right after the funeral, the, our coach, who was, who was this kid's doctor, and he was the, ten, the attending physician that, that pronounced him dead, our, our coach just demanded that we have... Uh, football practice after that funeral he just I think he just wanted us to get our minds off things but that football practice was awful I'm sure the coach regretted it but I said uh, at that point in time I had an intense fear of death I, I witnessed some other people die also at that same time and I won't get into all of that but it was just that was the worst year of my life I saw three people die one who I knew Kenny and I, I write here, I began to see God wanting desperately to know him, and I vowed to pray to him every night to stay on his good side. And then I go on to talk about um, just some of the trouble I got in that they didn't know about when I was in high school, and especially when I got to college, I got in some real trouble there. Almost flunked out that freshman year. And uh, I, I told them something really great did happen my freshman year. I met this girl. And... Uh, she was just as wild as I was, I write, but different at the same time. She told me about her father a few years before. He was a heavy-drinking, hot-tempered businessman. Suddenly, his life began to crumble. His family was falling apart, and his financial empire was about to go busto. A buddy had been telling him about Jesus for years, but he thought that was for wimps only. However, he began to talk with this friend, and 
Soon he turned his life over to the Messiah, Jesus. He was now a Christian. A year later, his financial situation was better than before. Soon his wife gave her life to God. And then Sue, that's the girl who was telling me all this, um, made a commitment to do the same. I said, I'd never heard of anything like this. And at Sue's challenge, I began to read the New Testament scriptures as well as those of the Jewish Bible. The more I read, the more I was amazed. Everything I'd learned about Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, was false. He was a Torah-keeping Jew who said, I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He even warned that many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will lead many astray. But then there were the Jewish prophets who wrote of Yeshua's life hundreds and thousands of years before his time. David described Messiah's crucifixion to a T. Micah said the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah wrote extensively, too, even describing his initial rejection of his own people. Then finally, the words that Messiah himself restated, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself and follow me to life eternally. And I go on to write, to make a six-month story short, I became convinced that he was either a liar, lunatic, or Messiah. But I chose he had to be the latter. And if I was going to follow him, I didn't want to be a hypocrite like so many so-called Christians. Uh, I said, you folks bred in me an all-or-nothing attitude for which I'm grateful, and I plan to go all out in this new area too. This was the faith I'd been looking for. Finally, there was peace. My fear of death was gone. That indescribable void in my life vanished, and it was as if I had been born again all over again. All right? It was as if I'd been born all over again. So that's the letter I wrote to my parents, and uh, that girl, of course, ends up becoming my wife, Sue. And uh, you know, the, it's it's just that's an amazing story in and of itself. And of course, my dad uh, found faith in uh, in Messiah at my at my well, I was by his bedside when it happened just before he died. So there's some good news there. But uh, this has been quite an emotional week, as you can imagine. Just a lot of ups and a lot of downs and a lot of grieving and a lot of laughs and a lot of tears. And, and the laughs, I just remember my brother, Brad, who is one of the funniest guys I know. And of course, as you know, he fills in on KSFO on a regular basis. Brad turns to me because he knew I needed a lift. He turns to me, this is, I don't know, within the first half hour after my mother was dead, we're in the room. It was before Marvin got there. So it's probably 10 or 15 minutes after she died. He looks at me and said, Brian, we're orphans. <laughs> oh, gosh. So that was Tuesday morning. Later that morning, uh, Doug came by. And uh, we had uh, a nice time with him and his wife, Kathy. And we were over at mom's house with Marvin. And I pulled Doug aside and said, Doug, can we just get together the three of us and maybe we could add you to this podcast I want to do for Hidden Headlines on Thursday. And, and he said, no problem, Brian, let's do it. So without a lot of fanfare, let me transition to our three-way interview. It's me, it's Brad, and my uncle Doug Carlson, who lives in Minnesota up near the Iron Range. <clears throat> Doug, uh, so many stories about your sister, our mother, but uh, you were the little brother. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, she abused, abused little brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we caught her wrath more than a few times as well. <laughs> but she was, uh, she, I mean, she was a be beautiful person, oh, yeah. physically and otherwise. Yeah. And she was very generous and very loving. But man, if she made her mind up about something, that was it. Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was her way or the highway. <laughs> one one of our favorite stories, and this has been verified, not only by you, but by her as well. When pressed, uh, here you are, a young boy. You guys had to walk a long way to the bus stop in right, Minnesota yeah. during this in snow. Yes. And she had something that she would always do. Make me break trail, walk in front of her, and uh, we had a mile walk to, to, to the. Well, I had a mile and a half to go to country school, but she had a mile to go to the bus to where the bus picked her up, and uh, uh, I had to walk in front of her, break trail when it had snow, and uh, uh, you can imagine what that was. Because we're talking up, up, northern Minnesota, and we're talking yeah. a lot of snow. Yeah. yeah, it was uphill and against the wind, <laughs> and a foot of snow. It wasn't fun, but uh, we did it. Now, was this so she could go to school wearing a skirt and her tights? Well, and she they had, well, they had, you know, they they had those. Uh, I don't know if you if you can't remember those, but they had what they call stadium boots. Okay. You know, they were kind of a little fancier yeah. boots, you know, but they were. And then I think they had, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, they were called stadium boots, and that's what she wore. And they were kind of open on top, too. They weren't, oh. you know, the most, uh, you know, uh, user-friendly deals. They were stylish. Yeah, they were stylish, yes. It's a, and what are you wearing? Uh, four buckle overshoes. There you go. That's right. Okay. And you guys they didn't. Were, you guys didn't worry about wind chill because you didn't know about wind chill. It was just cold. No, no you had that wool mackinac wrapped around you, and that was it. And, uh, yeah, those four buckle overshoes, they were the ones that then when uh, uh, we wanted to look a little smooth, we'd open them up, you know, we'd unbuckle them. Oh. And then when you take off running, those buckles would hook and they'd trip you. <laughs> you'd, face, you'd face plant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had friends of mine, they, uh, they had... Uh, you know, once we get holes in those overshoes, you know, and usually you outgrew them, you know, so you needed probably a new pair every year. But those guys that had, you know, they were hand-me-downs and stuff, they'd, they'd have those red rubber patches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they put those red rubber patches on and black <laughs> boots. And what they, what they do is they take shoe polish and they, they shoe polish and cover those red patches up so they kind of play. Blend in so you kind of look a little better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm oh. tough. <laughs> well, and the thing is, you you were farmers. Yeah. Literally living off the land. Yes. There were good years and bad years. Oh, yeah. Overall, there probably wasn't a lot of money, but did you no. know you were poor? Not really, because everybody was that way. Yeah. You know, all the neighbors, everybody was that way. And, and uh, yeah, and you had, you mean, you ate well. Sure. Uh, you ate well, and you had uh, a roof over your head and a warm place to sleep, and you had clean clothes, and you had clothes, but probably, you know, you didn't have a closet full of clothes. Right, right. You had 
two pairs of jeans, one hanging in the closet, one on your butt, you know. And yeah, so that was, you know, but it was, uh, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't know it, you know, that, uh, like I said, everybody was in the same boat. Yeah, well that, I think growing up, because of her upbringing, uh, and she knew how good we had it, relatively speaking, yeah. she wouldn't cut us a lot of slack. You know, I mean, they, they wanted to treat us well, and they mm -hmm. wanted us to have nice things. Yeah, but then again, you know, pull back on range a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember probably because of her uh, toughness and her mental acuity and just being aware of everything, it actually kept us out of a lot more trouble than we got into. I'm oh, sure yeah. that's absolutely the case. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so, so in, in terms of your mom and dad, our grandparents, um, I'm guessing she was a little more like your mother rather than your father. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. Definitely. I mean, Ma was the, the one that handed out the discipline, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, but uh, no, they were, they, were, they were good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, there are so many fun stories about, about mom and fun stories about your growing up. And of course our, our radio audience loves having you on because you're, you're, you're such a character, but were there times when your sense of humor and personality bothered her? I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that too much, but, uh, uh, I used to like to, you know, I used to like to bug her a little bit, you know. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I used to like to bug her a little bit. And then I remember one time we had a little confrontation. Uh, a situation where she said, I'm going to throw you out of the house. Well, mom and dad were in there doing chores and stuff. And I don't know, I was monking around in the house. And I got under her skin. And she said, I'm going to throw you out of the house. I said, I, you can't do it. <laughs> so we got into it. And, and she got me down, and she had me by the legs, and was dragging me out the door. But I got a hold of the kitchen table. I got a hold of the kitchen table. I got the kitchen table jammed in the door, so she couldn't get me all the way out. She couldn't get me all the way out, halfway in and halfway out. Oh, and then she accused me of fighting like a girl. I scratched her or something, and I was fighting like a girl. That tended to kind of irritate me a little bit. Yeah, but uh, no, it was, uh, it was, it was good. Yeah, I, I'd, uh, I'd do it over again. <laughs> now, when you guys, uh, being on a farm, you guys had chores to do every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. What time would you get up before school? Well, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't that critical. When I was in uh, grade school, you know, like in the, probably in the fourth grade, fifth grade, it wasn't uh -huh. that, that critical. But then when I got a little older and stuff, well, then, <clears throat> of course, Bev left when, you know, she, she graduated in 48, so I was 48, I was 11 years old. Okay. Not quite 11 years old when she graduated, I was 10, going to turn 11. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, then, you know, she went to nurses training and stuff, and then she wasn't around much after that. Right. Know? But she had three years of nurses training in Minneapolis and stuff. But uh, then when I got a little older, then... Yeah, then the chores started coming up, and I had to pump water for the cattle morning and night, and uh, <clears throat> that was a job. 
been called to drink a lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the greatest thing that ever happened was when electricity came in 1949. The REA come through and uh, we had uh, got electricity and electricity in the barn and stuff and got a pump that uh, a deal that went on a pump that uh, called a pump jack mm -hmm. and electric motor and threw the switch and pump started going and wow. that was a job that you didn't have and that was and you had electric lights you know you had lights everything was lit up and uh that was that was that electricity was a big deal and even in the house you know you had a refrigerator right sure didn't have that before no no had ice box you know mm -hmm. and uh wow and that ice box deal it was you know it was uh they used to cut ice cut ice out of star lake and you know, you know, like in January, February, mm -hmm. and put it in an ice house and cover it with sawdust. And then you had a kind of a like a, a door on one end of that ice house, and then they packed ice around that box that was made. It was made out of heavy wood, you know. Mm -hmm. They pack ice around that, so it was fairly cool in there. So you could keep stuff in there that it stayed cool. I mean, it wasn't refrigerator cold, mm -hmm. but it, it, you know, you could keep milk in there and yeah. sour and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was you got that uh, refrigerator, and boy, that was something else. Speaking of modern conveniences, you know, people don't think about the fact you didn't have electricity until 1949. Yeah, uh, you also didn't have indoor plumbing. No. Oh, and no. I remember even when I okay, so I was visiting there when I'm just a little kid, and uh, I would sleep upstairs in the attic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Um, and, and your your mother would set out. That's the first time I ever heard the term a honeypot. Yeah. And I didn't quite know what that was all about, but if you had to go in the middle of the night, there was That's a little pot went. to yeah. go. Yeah. I never took her up on the offer. I always held it. <laughs> I still got that. I still got that pot. <laughs> so nobody can Is it used, is it used no. for the purpose that you uh, no, originally I, I, intended? No, I, I no. It's, it was a porcelain I, I got, deal. It was oh, a, yeah, white. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, white porcelain cover on it. Yeah, so you can never say that I don't have a pot to pee in or a window <laughs> to throw it out of. <laughs> or a window to throw it out of. So when did they uh, when did when did they get indoor plumbing? Sixty. Oh, that was no. We're talking about having to use an outhouse up yeah, until was, then. I think it was like fifty-eight, fifty-eight or okay. something like that. Yeah, they added on that bathroom and stuff. Well, they that. So in the middle of winter, when you're a kid, and again, we're talking yeah. northern Minnesota here. Oh, yeah, you got to go, you yeah, got to go. Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. Mm -hmm. You didn't spend a whole bunch of time in there reading magazines and stuff. I guess not. <laughs> I'll never forget, you had the sauna as well. Yeah. And oh, yeah. It was, it was large. Most people mm -hmm. would, in, in California, for example, have no idea what a sauna is. Like this. Uh, this was big. It was spacious. You could get several people in there once. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then the other part of it was the dressing room part was uh, actually was a summer kitchen. See, you know, in the summertime when it really got, you know, warm outside, which it oh, did at one time in Minnesota. Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, it would get warm. This is this is before global warming hit, right? Yeah. yeah. And then Pre-global uh, warming. And then, you know, you had there again, see, we, there was no... Uh, there was no electric stove, it was a wood-fired stove. Oh, my. And you'd have to fire that wood-fired stove to cook meals. Oh, so heat up so the whole house. So it would heat up the whole house. So actually, that 
the dressing room part in the sauna had a cook stove in it. And then in the summertime, when you, you know, probably about May, end of May or something like that, <clears throat> we'd kind of a start eating in there and the meals were fixed in there and you just sleep in the house. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But, and no air conditioning, that wasn't a... No, no, just open the window and well, then hope the wind blows. And yeah, then that's, you know, you're talking about Minnesota, which has some of the greatest swings in temperature where you can get 95 in the summer with matching humidity. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I remember the sauna. Uh, I'm a little kid in the sauna with you and a bunch of the old, you know, the old guys. Yeah. So I'm, this is my initiation. I'm in the sauna. And Doug says to me, I'm getting hot getting caught. He says, well, go ahead and just blow on your arm. That'll cool you off. <laughs> well, I, I blow on my arm. It burned. <laughs> yeah, he was tricky. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll show this city kid what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. No, that was, uh, yeah, that was something else. And of course, visiting with Uncle Doug is always something else. It was just great to see him. He was just what the doctor ordered. And I think doing this podcast was just what the doctor ordered for me. I hope it's been informative and entertaining to you as well. And I really appreciate all of the all of the wonderful uh, emails and, and social media contacts with uh, prayers and and support and words of encouragement. I'm just grateful to have so many people who um, have reached out during this very very difficult time. I've written more about this at briansussman.com on my blog. And again, I appreciate you. Hidden headlines. By the way, if you'd like to reach out to me, just go to the website. There are ways to email me there. Facebook, Brian Sussman Show. Twitter, Brian underscore Sussman. Hidden headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom, Special Edition. Thanks for listening. And if you like this, Please share it with someone who you think it might be beneficial to. I really would appreciate that as well. Brian Sussman from Chicago, signing off.